welcome back to the 16mm Film Crew Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube. You can like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor. You can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16mm Film Crew Podcast. Leave us a rate and review. You can visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com. So this week we watched Bullet Train 2022. Here's your synopsis. Ladybug is an unlucky assassin who's determined to do his job peacefully after one too many gigs has gone off the rails. Fate, however, may have other plans as his latest mission puts him on a collision course with lethal adversaries from around the globe, all with connected yet conflicting objectives on the world's fastest train. This movie is directed by David Leach. The film stars Brad Pitt, Joey King, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry, Andrew Koji, Hiro, Hiroyuki Sanada, maybe, Michael Shannon, Benito A. Martinez, Ocasto, and Sandra Bullock. So, yeah, tell us your thoughts about Bullet Train. Um, at first glance, um, I know this is David Lech. Hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. I mean, he's known for um John Wick. Um, he's one. Of, he was. One of the directors, even though he wasn't credited as stunt coordinator, um, he did Nobody, um, with uh, forgot the guy's name, but the guy from Better Call Saul. So he has a a penchant for the last couple of years of doing these amazing, you know, stylized action movies. Um, but look, watching this movie, I felt like I was watching a poor man's attempt at um, dang, oh, <laughs> Why did my mind just blank on the director? Oh my gosh! Why does this always happen to me? Oh, who, who <laughs> the the gentleman? Oh my god! Oh, Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie. Yeah, I don't know why. I'm not forget Guy Ritchie name. But yeah, so it felt like this movie was a poor attempt at a Guy Ritchie movie. Like if you've seen like you know Snatch, of course, Gentlemen. If you've seen those movies, you see how they they handle these situations where there's multiple characters and scenes and everybody kind of bounces back and forth with multiple changes or whatever. It is balanced so perfectly. I felt like this was. Uh, his attempt at it, which the elements are there, but the execution isn't as finely tuned. Um, but other than that, I think it's uh, it was a, a well done movie. Um, of course, the high points are those action set pieces, how they're shot, because once again, his background is that of a stunt coordinator, you know. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not gonna go into watching his movies and expect except the most amazing cinematography and whatnot, knowing his background is you know stunts. Like those are the more going to be the most highly anticipated and highly um the be- most well thought out shots in the movie um but it's uh yeah it's i think honestly this movie probably um if it had like a oh, well it had a theatrical i think this movie um is much better than the green man watch classic which is weird like this movie this i think this movie kind of fits more it's a Brad Pitt movie, but it's, it's a Brad Pitt movie, but it's like one of the few Brad Pitt movies that didn't have a co-star. So it making what it did like so far in box office about 30, 30 million. It's not surprising because usually Brad Pitt solo movies don't do that well. But even if I made that much comparatively, you know, it made it just about like 20 less about what it usually averages a significant co-star. Like let's still be on Joey King, up and coming actress, Aaron Arm, Taylor Johnson. Um, Brian Henry, like all these, all these actors are amazing talent, but they're not on the that precipice that you know Brad Pitt, like Brad Pitt's up there, Tom Cruise, like they're stars. So, um, but yeah, other than that, I think this movie would have probably fit on a shooting platform. This is like the perfect movie as far as concept and what's going on, the pace and everything for shooting platform, and it's actually honestly more engaging. And you're you're there's something always going on which captivates you in a, in a way like. They're on a bullet train, but you know that you got the splashes of neon and everything, and, and everything, all those things. I thought it was a, a much better movie than Gray Man. I think Gray Man probably that, there's a reason why Gray Man had no one mentioned it after its theatrical run went streaming. But I think this movie, I think post its theatrical run, will have like amazing, you know, streaming numbers when it goes to streaming platforms. Yeah, I love this movie. I thought this movie was so fun. I just had like a really good time watching it and it was like funny and I just loved all the personalities 
I think everyone who was in this movie gave like really great performances. Um, Joey King is amazing. Like, I think the blemish on her career is a kissing booth. Like, if you just forget that that happened, like, she's just been, she's like a really great actress. And like, I just loved everything that she did. Her dialect work was so good. Like, I really appreciate people who, if you're like gonna do the English accent, like, at least make it somewhat like believable and I just appreciate the fact that it sounded like to me she did like actual dialect work so she can sound English and I I respected that and then she learned the Russian on top of that girl was speaking like just giving us dialogue in the Russian I said yes Joey King prosper prosper Joey King so I'm that was my favorite part of the movie was her honestly but I loved Brad Pitt this reminded me of like the Brad Pitt movies that I watched growing up where he was like action guy um and i just kind of missed seeing i love when he's just able to be like charismatic and charming like just who he is naturally i just yeah. love that when that gets showcased like in once upon a time in hollywood which is a movie that i don't like he was my favorite part so i love brad pitt and i think that if you love brad pitt you're gonna be sold really hard in this movie because like he just gives you so much like energy and then to pair it with like Aaron Taylor Johnson and and Brian Tyree Henry, actors who are really like coming up, like actors who have been acting for a, a really long time, but who paired together are just like a really great duo. Like I just loved, I loved all of their scenes together, and yeah, I think that they're they're doing their thing. Like I've seen Brian in so much in the last couple of years, and I know he started off at Atlanta and now he's like everywhere. So this is very, I'm very happy for him and his career. <laughs> Um, but also Aaron, like, who's also been like a really great actor. I'm glad to see him getting more of these high profile roles. Like he did Tenet and he's doing this. And I think he's like, going to be in a Marvel movie or something like that. So happy to see he them. Was in a Marvel movie, so. Well, I mean, his own one. I think he's playing, yeah. uh, oh, what is the character? That he's getting his own Marvel movie. Craven, I think he's playing. Oh, that's Craven. right. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, he's yes. playing Craven in Spider Man. You're right. Yeah, but yes, he was Quicksilver in in the um, Avengers: Age of Ultron. I keep forgetting because you know they killed him off and then they replaced yeah. him with Evan Peters. It's very confusing. Yeah, <laughs> so I did forget about that for a second. But yes, um, so yeah, I love their dynamic. I love that the main villain was Michael Shannon. I was so shocked to see him. Like as soon as they started to pan down on his face, I was like is that Michael Shannon right now? Is Michael Shannon about to be in this movie? And then he was. I was like, yay, I love him. I love Michael Shannon. Um, Channing Tatum was in this movie, which I was not expecting, but I loved. Thank you. That was a really cute cameo. And then Ryan Reynolds was in there for like two seconds. I said, what? <laughs> which makes me think that they're probably going to do a second one. But I don't know if they're going to do. I don't know if it's been green light to do a second bullet train, but yeah. Yeah, and Sandra Bullock, who I love also. So, like, and I don't know. It was, like, the Sandra Bullock Brad Pitt that was giving me major, like, 90s, like, early 2005 movies that I grew up on, like, watching both of them. Like, I literally grew up on their movies. So it was very comforting, but also just, like, fun. And the story was kind of like a action movie, but also, like, a whodunit. It was, like, a mix of, like, let's find out what's going on, but also here are all these really cool action pieces. So... I just loved that aspect of it. Like, I think that the fact that the David Leach or Leach, not sure how you pronounce his last name, was Brad was Brad Pitt's like stunt double, and now he was yeah. he's directing him in a movie. Like, listen, anything can happen in Hollywood. Like, all your dreams can come true or not, you know, <laughs> but it could. So, I think that's super cool. Like to see what he's done before, but to see this and kind of mixing the little genres together and just making it really fun. Um, and having like a nice little message kind of tied in there with the fate thing. I thought that was kind of cute. Um, the story wasn't like the highlight, but I did like how they kind of brought everything together. I thought that was fun. Yeah. So. Yeah, that is funny. I think that's, 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 that's a cool twist that you're, you're being directed by your former fun double which is ironic because he even said uh david letcher said in this movie brad pitt did like 95 percent of his own stunts that's, that's uh, <laughs> so that's funny he you wasn't wanna, available you want to you hear yeah, your stunt double's not available yeah he's behind the director's chair so now you gotta sort this out yourself but uh yeah no i i did enjoy this movie um 
I don't, I don't, maybe it'll turn into a sequel. I like these, I'll, I'm a big fan of, like, in the state of Hollywood where everybody has other franchise. I miss those one-off, yeah. ridiculous concept kind of movies like this one. It's like this, mm-hmm. basically, like, it's like, honestly, a one setting, a one set piece, one setting piece, just mm-hmm. assassins going at it in a train. Like, that's it. Non-stop action with moments of comedic brevity sprinkles in between, but so, but you don't you don't really get these kind of culture ideas in Hollywood anymore because everybody's trying to pump out a John like even the project which this guy started as career director John Wick is now doing like uh, four or five movies mm-hmm. you know so yeah it's 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 a good and like you said love this is like this is like. Brad Pitt is bad piteous, like you know, <laughs> it's it it makes that hybrid of you know his action guy background that we've seen. Like, this is like Brad Pitt when he mixes those action and comedic and those charming roles as well, like Mister and Mrs. Smith, mm. you know, gun toting spy who's still charming and you know kind of a, a goof with delivers a comedy. You know, Ocean's the Ocean series where he does the same thing. You know, of course, once upon a time in Hollywood, you know. Like Brad Pitt is like one of those actors who just fits. Like he gives really cross genre, which is amazing. Which is amazing because like he started his career out in the typical romance comedy role, mm-hmm. and he's never really disappeared from it. But he took those characteristics of what he's playing into action oriented movies and serious movies to a degree. But it's he's able. He's one of those few actors I think who can flow. Like yeah, flow effortlessly between any genre. I don't think he's he's done very few. I think the only serious movie I can say he's done would be Seven. In a way, mm-hmm. like a serious drama. But other than that, he is one of those direct actors who can just, hey, we need a we need an actor, high profile actor who could play this role, and mm-hmm. you can say you can you could say, give it to Brad and he'll knock it out of the park. Like he could play anything. Which is amazing. Yeah, he's a really good actor. Like, he's really great. Like, when I think about his career, I think, I don't know, it's funny that you said that Seven is, like, his most dramatic role. I think that's, like, one of my favorite Brad Pitt roles. Mm-hmm. It's, like, either that or um, Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards was great. Like, he was really good in that. Like, that was great. <laughs> and that's yeah. a great freaking movie. But, um, even when he did like Fight Club and stuff like that, like he's very, he's able to be very flexible and like whatever, like you said, you kind of need him to do. I think yeah. he's really smart at like being able to kind of be a chameleon, like do this and do that and still bring like his Brad Pittness. Like, you know it when you see it, like you know what it is, even if you can't fully define it. Like he's just, he knows how to like bring whatever he kind of has naturally as a person into like every single one of his roles. So even if he's not the good guy, you still kind of root for him. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's a gift and a talent as well. But yeah, I think and I also think that like the fact that the press tour for this movie was pretty expansive. So um, and he was like jumping around. The whole cast was like having the best time on these red carpets, like dancing and like going crazy. And I think that matters more than people might give it credit for. Like the art of marketing and the art of like press tours, it matters to your box office. Like it matters to if people are actually going to be hype about the movie or not. Because like we were talking about the Gray Man, and literally like no one talked about that movie. Yeah. While it was like being promoted, and the fact that people just like completely ignored it, forgot about it, weren't asking questions about it even on the press tour for all, just shows you like that there is an art to showing up at different locations around the world and being with fans, getting the fans hyped to go see your movie, that has direct impact on like box office if people are actually gonna see it or not. Like yeah. I feel like this movie could have been on streaming services, but I think that it's so much better that it wasn't. Yeah. Like I liked the fact that I went to movies to go see like a really fun summer action movie. Like that's a return to form in a way where summer blockbusters were like the biggest moments of the year in terms of like film and film calendars in terms of like if people are going to go to the movies or not like this summer is the time where you go because you know you're not working or you are working but like the days are longer people kids are out of school like that's where you 
I would assume theaters make most of their bucks during that mm. portion of the year. So I think the fact that they're kind of bringing it back kind of post-COVID is a good thing. Like you can see like, okay, yeah, people are going to come back to the movies to see something that's not a Marvel movie, not like a sequel or a prequel or whatever. It's just like a standalone film, great actors, you know, got a good cast, fun, funny, like people will go to see it. I think this kind of gives gives a more lift to those type of films. Hopefully that will happen more because this was really fun. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Like no, I did. It's, it's, it's a good, it's an amazing movie. Like when I say, like when I say this is a perfect stream, I mean this movie pro probably would have did good theatrical or or streaming. There mm-hmm. are certain movies nowadays where you can go to theater where you're like once again the Gray Man, where you do you where you even watching on a streaming platform where you're left with like a malaise or blah, mm-hmm. you know, where mm-hmm. you're, you don't really like like we said before. I don't think there's a such thing as, as like. Movies are have a gray area. Like if you're extremely bad, you're memorable. If you're extremely good, you're memorable. But if you hit that middle ground, which is the middle ground, is what you don't want to be. If you're gonna make a man a bad movie, go all out and make a bad movie. Like that middle ground where it's just kind of like meh, like that gray area, you know, is not what you want to hit. But I think I think this this movie is like is an amazing movie. And like on on back going back to Brad Pitt, I think the only other actor. I think who does these kind of roles well is like uh I think DiCaprio. Like him and DiCaprio really can mm. move around. They're like to me they're like homages to old Hollywood, like guys like Grace yes. Kelly. Like Grace Kelly might have been known for just in pure musicals, but he did have that like leading man suave, like where you you could you could put him in a comedy or whatever and you still Kelly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if I put, you know, Brad Pitt and DiCaprio in that wheelhouse. As far as yeah, I agree. I think they're very, and I think that's what they're going for. <laughs> that's their yeah. that's their thing. They're like trying to pay homage. Yeah, the older actors. I think they talked about that a few times in their interviews and stuff. But yeah, I was so confused when I looked at the scores for like on Rotten Tomatoes and all that stuff, IMDb about this movie. Like they were really they were pretty low, mm-hmm. and I was like, what? Am I like outside of the loop? Like, am I missing something? Because I feel like recently the movies that everyone has been crapping on, I thought were fine. And then the movies that everyone really likes, I thought were just okay. What's wrong? What's wrong with me? I feel like something's wrong with my internal. internal I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think at Rotten Tomatoes, it's sitting at like a 50% as far as critics, but audience score is like at like a 80%. This like okay. there are certain movies where you kind of like critics, you know, like they're like some movies I can agree with critics, like okay, you're you're perfectly correct, and then there are other movies I can go and sit back as an audience and you know and enjoy it. Like I do think sometimes as critics and even we, you know, not just us but everybody in the whole film review podcast realm in general, because even though no matter if you're large or small, you're typically a critic, even though you're more. On, audience member level i do think sometimes we go too far into the minutia of films mm-hmm. you know we like and so it takes out like the fun of it like even though mm-hmm. we're doing talking about films there should be it's like movies are escapism like like so and like a lot of excuses like some people say oh this is too blah blah this is not realistic well, it's a movie man you're watching like a bunch of guys and women like pretend like they're in these situations, you gotta at least be able to dial it back, you know, to some degree. So, yeah, I guess because like now I'm feel like I am responding more to what how movies make me feel rather than like what they're supposed like what maybe their intentions were mm-hmm. or like what or like I don't know maybe the words. Maybe like the 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 critical eye of looking or at movies as art, mm-hmm. which I which I feel like I still have, but recently I don't know. I just feel like the movies that have impacted me most aren't necessarily the movies that like everyone's talking about or feeling like this is like cinema or whatever. <laughs> I don't know, and I feel I don't know. Maybe I'm getting soft. I don't. I don't know. I think there are movies where you can watch and go, 
this is sitting like yeah the lighthouse parasite you can you can right. like sit in the theater and watch those movies and like oh my gosh your brain is just the synapses are just firing like on every every little detail like you can literally watch it and this is cinema it's mm. not a, a dunk car bullet train to say this is not cinema but i'm not gonna like shit on it and say oh it's because it wasn't you know you know um oh uh, once upon a time that the movie is not amazing like i think one reviewer called it two reviewers kind of gave the two critics kind of gave the same review and calling it an example perfect example of style over substance and one reviewer said he enjoyed the movie and the other movie said they didn't enjoy it because it's a dated concept like they both had the same like point of the movie like style over substance but mm. one loved it one hated it you know that kind mm. of thing like there's you got to understand when you're talking about a lot of these movies a lot of these ideas are kind of contrite and have been over over there's only so much you can add to it or put your own spin on it that you know that helps it like you know the story itself can only do so much it's up to the actors to build it up like honestly at its core the the, the story of this movie was kind of like meh it was yeah, like the mid. most engaging right. but watching all these actors like deliver even the few the, the short screen time Zazie Beats had as as the as the um the assassin other assassin, you know, Joey King, like they said, knock it out of part of her dialogue of the mm. English accent and the the in the back and forth between um her and Brian, which is like, you think I'm gonna get a cry because i I'm gonna stop because a white woman's crying? Like that's like <laughs> the idea in every like every black person's head is like we're not gonna believe like white woman tears. Like all those scenes were perfectly yeah, no, like the actors did amazing. I think in this kind of movie, the story is secondary mm. to like the overall experience. Whereas the gray man, the story was the primary, but the story did not execute. You know, so yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, yeah, <laughs> those are my feelings. I had fun. I can't get into like anything more because it's not. Yeah. It wasn't like again. It wasn't like. Tama, but it was still fun and I enjoyed it. Yeah. So what are you rating it? Um, I'm I'm um I'm giving it a seven point five out of ten. Um as again, like I like I said a while ago, uh the talents in front of the camera were amazing. Uh you can really see David's focus on, you know, his background as tongue coordinator, those action sequences. Um, were wonderfully shot and well done. Um, I also go back to like this movie was actually in pr- in the production part when like COVID happened, so they kind of mm. had to call it audible and like literally like build. They couldn't go to Japan and stuff, so they literally like built like the interiors of the trains on set and used. I think they were the, one of the few production that really like um, Star Wars was a big recording of using LED LED walls. You know, to shoot to get give um the actors that sense of environment, um, but yeah, like I I loved it. Even though I saw it in the beginning, like I felt like it was a, a imitation of you know Guy Ritchie. Like, but you could tell when an actor, a director is kind of pulling from another director in a way as like an homage to them. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dunk him on you know trying to imitate Guy Ritchie because Guy Ritchie is an amazing director. Everybody, I think everybody, he's one of those directors that everybody wants to. That style is really unique. Everybody kind of wants to execute it. But other than that, I still think it was a a wonderful movie. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I think I'm I gave it like a three out three and a half out of five stars. I'm gonna go with the stars instead of the numbers (laughs) this week. Um yeah, because it was really great and it was just fun and I love the action sequences. I love seeing Brad Pitt kind of do his thing. I love this cast. I think they were just really well picked. Like everyone who got cast in this movie was like exactly in the roles they need to be in. And they did a phenomenal job. Like it seemed like everyone was really on board with like doing this. Even if the story wasn't like amazing, everyone fully committed. So I think that showed and it was like, just, it was great. I I, I really did like this. I really did. And I think the fact that Logan Lerman who I haven't seen in many years. Blinking you miss it moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that he had a little moment and in that 
he got a Percy sticker and he used to be Percy Jackson from that book series. I forgot what it's called. Which, Jackson. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. I thought I thought it was like I thought it was like the lightning but or something like that. Like I thought it was like an overarching thing and yeah. then it was just whatever. Whatever. Y'all know the movie I'm talking about, the one that everyone hates. Like that movie I loved growing up, so I was very happy to see him employed and back into this film. Um but yes, it was good. I would recommend you go see it yeah. if you want to. Or you can wait for it to be on streaming, however, however you want to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think the most per- the person I was probably the most impressed with was you know, uh, Joey King. Yes, oh, I don't, stand I don't, out. I don't, I don't know much for work. I think the only movie I actually ever, outside of seeing you know Netflix saying, "Hey, new Kissing Booth is out with Joey King," the only movie like in my head I remember her name being on up until now with you know Hulu and the the Princess or Prince whatever the, whatever that movie's called like was like Ramona and Beezus because I had to take my sister to see it like that's the only like thing I can remember and at that point she's like five years old so yeah, yeah. so that's like, was... the only... <laughs> Ramona and Beezus great film just kidding I don't remember any of that I actually literally had no clue what happened in that movie was Selena Gomez in that one I think she was the older sister okay yeah. But she was in the act with um, Patricia Arquette. That was really good. And she was in Crazy Stupid Love, Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone. That was, she was really good in that. Like, she did a lot of stuff when she was younger. Yeah. Um, the stuff that she's done when she was older, though, like now that she's like in her 20s, I, I don't know about all that stuff, but I'm just glad that she's in this movie because she was, I can tell that she's a great actress. I just think that she needs to be place in the right roles because i think taking some of those roles that she's been taking i think she's doing like a netflix rom-com film right now which doesn't mean that it could still be good but i just have very little faith in the netflix original content at the moment other than stranger things or the crown if i remember correctly reading the news she her management or production company um, set up a, a deal with Netflix for stuff, which I guess that's what the kids and Booth movies are. And she Ooh. also set up a deal with um Hulu. So that's what her other most recent movies are. So hey, if she can get those exclusive exclusivity deals with streaming platforms and get those movies, get get your money. Like for some for some people, acting is not about the awards. Some people is about cashing a check. I can't knock it. So hey. Yeah, I don't. I I want more for her. That's what I. That's that's where I am with Joey King. Like, get your bag, yes, but also you're like too talented for like these Netflix random crap. Like, you could be doing more. That's really good. And she has done it. She's just done it like sprinkled through. Like, I need it to be more consistent because <laughs> I really do feel like she could be on the level of like a Florence Pugh or something like that. Because I do think she is that talented. Yeah, I do. So, and that I want that for you, Joey. <laughs> if you ever watch this or listen to it, please, I want better for you. Not that you're not doing good right now. I'm just saying, like, we could be doing more here. Like, we can be getting Emmys, Oscars, Golden Globes, whatever. Like, I, I know we can. Like, it's there. So, I'll be the mom on this one and just be like, you're doing great, sweetie, but also. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. That's it. <laughs> Go see it. On the box office side, I did mention earlier that, you know, this movie opening weekend took in about $30 million. Um, and it, on, on a budget of $90 million, of what, $90 million, it made back a third opening weekend. Um, Brad Pitt, I think, himself took about $20 million for this movie. But, um, so yeah, I think they, they, Sony was estimating to make about between $25, $35 million. So it making the $30, $30 million was um, amazing. Um, uh, like, I think people were trying to compare it to Top Gun Maverick initially, but that was like, that would, there was something about that movie that made people want to go on droves. Like, um, Tom Cruise's success with Tom Cruise Maverick is like, honestly an abnormality for, I'm gonna call it modern day older old Hollywood, like like we said, Brad, Leo, Tom Cruise, like those Sandra, like those actors, like nineties, peak eighties, nineties, like Tom Cruise pulling in the numbers he did for Top Gun Maverick and modern nowadays is kind of an abnormality. Um honestly, making thirty million opening is kind of 
a good average if you're not a Marvel or Disney animated feature. You know, you're that's for a live action movie making 30 30 million open a weekend is amazing. Like I said, for it's 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 on par with usual Brad Pitt releases, you know, even if he has it the coast, I think War Wars he made 66, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith 50, once upon a time with Leo made 41. Um, so it's on par even with the movies he did behind star and given the fact that you know david letch is not you know not tarantino he's not a household name even though everybody likes his movies no atomic blonde john wick uh hobbs and shaw deadpool too people like his movies but his name is not like say he's not like peter jackson quinn tarantino we could say this director is making that making that movie and people will go and watch it and the fact that you know he's co-stars you know there'll be mentioned like joey king Bad Bunny's in there for a blip. Aaron Taylor Johnson, even his stars aren't really like household names to make in uh, the 30 million opening weekends is, I would consider that from a company, corporate standpoint, uh, a big success. Um, Continuing from that, um, of course, everybody knows the movie Prey was kind of the most popular um movie last weekend. Um, And people had kind of issues with it because it debuted on um hulu um and people are saying it should have had a theatrical release um let's be honest um it was honestly prey was done it was a holdover for when fox bought disney um a lot of movies were stuck in limbo after well what disney bought fox death of the nile i think um one of the x-men movies a lot of movies were stuck in a limbo after that um they actually disney decided to let some some movies other platforms are like Death of the Nile went on um, Hulu and HBO. Um, they decided to keep that movie in the can until wait till later. So these were a lot of movies that were kind of um, stuck in limbo, and it finally got a chance it did um, on Hulu. Um, but let's remember, um, online is a kind of an echo chamber. So you might think a million people agree with the idea, but then there are other people <laughs> you have to consider like. Not every movie that we think would be good, and we talked about this a while ago, would be good, uh, would be good streaming, would be good theatrically, and the same as vice versa. There are different different content works on each of those mediums. Um, and um, in the total box office numbers for the weekend domestically, at number 10, we have the Black Phone. Uh, Elvis uh, has dropped steadily every um, almost every week from its opening debut at number one. It's currently sitting at number nine. Uh, Easter Sony, Sun, Sunday, the Joe Coy comedy movie um, debuted at number eight, um, which I'm surprising at that. But I guess, you know, that was one of those movies who you were constantly bombarded with marketing campaign after marketing campaign online or when you went to the TV. Like, I remember seeing like 20 posts from that movie. And I was like, it's a comedian who's known but not known i don't know if it's going to do well but do well enough to debut at number um eight um uh where the crowd is sing at six at seven um top gun maverick like i spoke about earlier is in its 11th week um same same effect as everything everywhere at once but it's gone from five to six uh uh minions rise grew at five four love and thunder at four Nope, uh, drops from two to three. League of Super Pets goes down a spot from one to two. And of course, like I mentioned earlier, this whole <laughs> last 30 minutes, uh, Bullet Train debuted this weekend at number one. Um, internationally, um, For Love and Thunder has been let out the woodwork. Um, almost every country is reporting as a number one movie outside of China, where Jurassic World Minion, Argentina, um, Brazil, Germany, um, Media's are out of Grood, a bullet train is on one in Mexico, France, and UK, and Japan also has uh, Jurassic World Minion, and that's another thing, like, they're predicting, um, due to the now international release, um, that, uh, especially in China, which China is the second biggest film market, that, um, Minions, um, Minions 2 could probably push past the gross that, um, Doctor Strange 2 and Jurassic World 3 made, so... Yeah, that's it for me on the the box office stuff. Well, I'm-
throw it back to you because we have some Warner oh, Brothers yeah. stuff to Warner talk Brothers, about. Yeah, Warner Brothers, you know, they had their um the little investors um earning call, um, which yeah, a lot of people, you know, you know, somehow, you know, pe- people were talking about it. News, many news articles were written about it. Um, um, I don't know. Based on the reaction, I I think it's weird. Um, because a lot of stuff came out, especially how um HBO views they you know, well HBO Warner Brothers views each property. Like one slide had um that HBO Max is predominantly male scripted and this weird phrase of lean in, I guess you're drawn into what you're watching, um, appointment viewing and a home of fandoms. Um, and they had discovery being skewed as female unscripted, uh, lean back comfort viewing and genre dumbs, which I find weird from discovery because majority of discovery, I think discovery, they're doing that based on the concept of right. Cause if you look at discovery plus you have, um, mostly reality TV programs and you have, um, eight, uh, and on an umbrella of Discovery Plus, you also have um, own which is open with Talapari. So, their content on each platform only skews that way because of the stuff they put on each platform. That's not because you know, male women don't want to watch stuff on HBO Max or men don't want to stuff on um, on Discovery. Well, majority of the stuff you have on Discovery kind of skews to a female demographic where honestly i don't know why they think hbo max skews male i think hbo max has content for um everybody um but yeah they've been on a on a tirade uh they've recently announced that they're no longer um guaranteeing movies will arrive on hbo max after a 35 day theatrical window um they've also gone on to say that um they're also a lot of their cans the products are getting a write-off of content. Um uh they took about eight hundred and twenty-five million dollars with a write-offs, um canceling a lot of DC properties, which we'll go into depth um later. Um and also they cancel a lot of TNT and um CBS shows. Uh like the the last OG, which was doing well, that's uh, helmed by Tracy Morgan. But a lot of those shows it seems like and this is weird because when they merged, a lot of the people from Warner Brothers are no longer into positions of power. If you look at their structural organizationally, all the people who are at the helm are the people from Discovery, which I kind kind of find very odd. I think this Discovery was working at a level of we're not going to make a profit, we're not going to lose profit, we're going to operate as even, and they're taking that concept to. Warner Brothers as a whole, which kind of doesn't work because Warner Brothers is one of the big three production and distribution platforms in the world. You can't treat the content there the same way you treat, you know, a a, a non-scripted reality TV show program. It's not going to work the same way. You can be cheap with li- like live action, not live action. You can be cheap with reality TV shows. You can't cut corners when it becomes to the juggernaut that is. Um, even though they've had stumblings with DC properties, you can't cut corners with the properties that Warner Brothers does. And that seems like that's their overall goal. They're kind of in a penny pitching kind of mindset. Yeah, it feels a little dangerous. <laughs> it feels yeah. like we're in some unknown waters with this one because well, I'll just move on to the next story and we can talk about that more. But basically, Warner Brothers, it canceled Batgirl's release. So the film came, the film studio came under fire this week following the news that it was going to shelve the movie despite the fact its $90 million shoot had been completed earlier this year. Um, and Leslie Grace was going to star in the lead role as Barbara Gordon. Also, Michael Keaton was coming back to play Batman for the film. And basically, they have two differing um, reasons of why they cut this movie. One reason is that they're saying it didn't test well and that it wasn't going to be a big enough cinematic experience to put it on or to give it a theatrical release. So they were going to go, they were going to put it straight to streaming. And then another reason is that um, they just needed, it's just a switch in leadership. Like it, uh, Warner Brothers has a new, I guess, CEO. And yeah, CEO David Zalslav 
Zaslav. Yes. Um, he said it was, he said it was one thing. People are saying it's another thing. Like it's either budget cuts or it's because he's just, there's just a new person in charge. So things got shifted around or because it tested really terribly. And it's like, mm, I think y'all have offered some not so great movies in the past. So I can't, I can't believe that this movie would have been any worse. I think they said it tested around the same as, um, oh, darn, what, it, what was that movie that they said? Uh, was it the first? It was some other action movie, I can't recall. But the movie that they mentioned that it tested in the same realm as was a movie that people went to go see. Like people paid their money for it and they watched it. So <laughs> I don't, I don't mean it wasn't that bad from what I can recall. But I also think that like some of the statements he made was that like they're gonna go forward and do this, do a plan, like a 10-year plan that's similar to Marvel. And I think that everyone who's tried to emulate what Marvel has done has always failed. Yeah. And I think that I was watching someone else kind of talk about this and they were saying that one of the strengths of Warner Brothers or Warner Brothers recently was that things were kind of standalone movies. Like you had a Joker movie and then you had a Batman movie that two completely different timelines, like whatever, like, and it still was good. Yeah. So the, their strength was not being Marvel and now they're going to try to be Marvel. So that is probably going to be an issue because like, why are you guys trying to emulate the same formula that it's, I don't know why people keep trying to like make that happen. Like it only works for like one person. <laughs> <laughs> like it really does. Like it only works for one person. I mean, I think, you know, company. they tried to force copying Marvel too soon. Had they actually took those steps and laid like, oh, we'll just do one Batman, one Superman, one Wonder Woman, one, you know, Aquaman, and then slowly organically build up to the point. But they just went, we're going to do a Wonder Woman movie and then a Batman and Superman movie and create a whole universe based on that. So they, on that part, they fucked up. But it's since, since almost every other year since 2013, they've always said they have a 10 year plan for these projects mm -hmm. and 2013 i think 2019 2022 probably you know we're gonna see another in the, the end of the 10-year plan would probably 2030 you know and they're probably gonna say the same thing again um but you were talking about batgirl and when it tested um i looked up they said it um which is funny the movie that it tested similarly to mm -hmm. never got canceled it's still potential it's still being released based on you know the the information that they dropped at Comic Con, it tested similarly and scored similarly in these screenings to Shazam Two. Oh, okay. But Batgirl is the one that got the axe and not Shazam. If they both tested the same and you don't think it's not going to do well, they should have cut Shazam as well. Yeah, you see, and that's just. I think that's Warner Brothers just being messy. Like they always do things where you're just like, what, why, how? And then it ends up, and it always ends up, the acts always ends up falling on POC characters P or POC people who, you know, are portraying these characters in these movies, which I don't find to be a coincidence. I think that is potentially Opera. very like on purpose. Yeah. It, and it, then it, he it, had the and then he had the nerve to say, listen to this, T. He had the nerve to say that they were they were excited about the Flash, and that it's definitely getting released. By the way, Ezra Miller was just charged with burglary today, like <laughs> for stealing wine in Vermont, because of course he is, because he's a menace to society. And y'all continue to promote and just be like yeah it's great we can't wait for the flash to come out and you're going to rebuild and restructure your entire cinematic universe off of the flash movie look all i'm saying you know for the amount of Messy. stuff that you know ray fisher got for cyborg when he with them if he had done these things you know he would be person non i mean he already is for calling them out on it but mm -hmm. He would, they would have like did the movie and replaced CGI replaced him with another somebody else playing Cyborg, you know. So kind of find it funny when it's these these white actors who are supposed to be like the 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 pillar of your franchise doing crazy stuff. 
and you just like they they didn't announce release dates for Flash Two, but they said yeah, filming's done, post production's done, and then Ezra Hawaii fights somebody, Hawaii throws a chair, Hawaii chokes somebody. Later on, oh, he's holding people against their will with guns and stuff, you know, and he's now robbing convenience stores like he's you know the writer, you know, in the nineties, you know, in Vermont with for wine. I don't know. And it's I find it kind of funny because the reaction leaving Comic Con and everybody finding out the movies that were coming out, he's like, oh, you know, Aquaman is still coming out. You see The Rock showing up at Comic Con, you know, his full costume. They talk about Shazam, you know, even in the midst of them not being sure if they still want to continue with Henry Cavill as Superman, the stock was rising. But the moment they had this earnings call about the state of their company and the direction, that shit just dropped like. It was it was amazing. Like within the hour, like the difference between like four o'clock to like to four o'clock to like nine the next day was astounding. You know, so if if your whole move, you know, Mister CEO, was to to petty pinch, you, you're gonna have to pinch these pennies tight because you're the fucked up <laughs> with your company. So and it's and it's still dropping as more information comes out. So yeah, yeah. What I hate is that. HBO is underneath the umbrella of Warner Brothers. And HBO has been like the standard for like really great television for years, for like decades now, at least for like 20 plus years now, just producing like hits, like great television. And then the merger between them and Discovery, where they're trying to prioritize non scripted over scripted, I just feel like it's going to ruin like what HBO is. Or they're going to start taking away shows like they already have. They started like taking away shows and movies from HBO. Some of them Warner Brother properties, um, just yanking them off the streaming service. And so who really knows what's going to happen to that? <laughs> like, and then you had you want to add on all these other problems. I don't know. It. I don't know. Streaming seemed to me like when it was like... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's in its heyday still, but when it felt like it was in its heyday, like it was a really like a a salvation for, I don't know, really good original content. Yeah. And now it feels like. And and, and maybe it's, it's a dumb expectation to think it's anything else other than just corporations. But the corporationness of it has just become so much more apparent and it makes me a little worried about like what we're going to get in terms of like the media because you have all of these these people making decisions based on financial reasons not because like the content is good or engaging or revolutionary or whatever like it's changing the game like i don't know i'm kind of nervous I mean, you know, corporate people, it's not like i understand you're going to look at what makes money but i do think their evolution of streaming streaming was you know, uh, a secondary avenue and escape from traditional cable. But the moment, you know, Warner Brothers is one of them with getting HBO, but you have, you know, Disney buying up Fox and then also getting Fox properties. And then, you know, in buying Fox, they got Hulu. And then you have, you know, uh, the Peacock and then you have NBC and then CBS has a streaming platform. Streaming has become an extension of regular cable. It's not it's not the same. It's not the escapism, like, oh, you don't like what's, you know, at 9 o'clock on Fox, you know, you're tired of watching all Simpsons 20 times, or you're tired of watching this crappy, you know, show that doesn't, nobody likes, it's only there because, you know, potentially to do good, I can find good content on streaming, and I feel like all the, like we said, talking about um, Bullet Train, all these, you know, out there, fun ideas, like, we could have found initially on streaming, they're no longer, that's no longer a place to because it's not profitable. So, mm, yeah. yeah. Goodbye to our safe space. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we'll see what happens to that. We'll keep you updated. In other news, um, a judge decided that Kevin Spacey must pay $31 million in House of Cards dispute, though the actor who was fired amid sexual misconduct allegations had changed had challenged eight bigger damages awarded to MRC by an art an attributor, an arbitrator. There we go. That's the word. Um, so I think he was 
fired. He was fired because there were a lot of other sexual misconduct, you know, allegations going on in his personal life. But then I guess on the Netflix series itself, people were saying that some stuff had gone down. And I think what had happened is that they had already filmed like a good portion of like season, I think it was season six or something with him in it. Or no, they were about to, like they were in production. And then they fired him because it's like, obviously we're not going to have this person around working and had to restructure everything around um, Robin, Robin Wright's character. So I guess they had to, he had to pay that money back that they spent. (laughs) But also, um, he just had to pay because, you know, people had suffered under whatever he was doing over there, the sexual misconduct involving young crew members behind the scenes of the series. Yeah. Woo! So, and he was found for breach of contract. Oh, God. Yeah. A mess. I mean, it was, oh, he was, yeah. I mean, they did, which I find it funny, he got his money before that last season and then. They didn't actually back or they didn't know, um, and just cancel his contract because those clauses are built to the contract. They they paid him, but now they're suing him to get the money back. That's on y'all at a, on a corporate, a corporate you know level. Like y'all didn't y'all check y'all contracts. Y'all still paid the man, and are now knocking on that door like a couple years later to try and get it back because, and I think the reason why they want it back is because the potential of them making the money back on residuals they're not residual anymore but restreaming it mm-hmm. on their platform they don't have because if they if it was still on their if they could like restream it on their on their platforms they could still take in the money people were subscribing and viewing and watching but because of what happened the whole concept of house of cars is tainted so no one wants to touch that with a 12 foot pole um and as we're talking about state of you know, the streaming platforms, like on a streaming platform, like this, other than Bullet Train, this whole thing is about yeah. the streaming platforms. Yeah. Um, Peter Jackson said Amazon, um, they ghosted him after initially. Um, I kind of find a funny director saying, you know, they ghosted me, but whatever. Um, so, of course, award winning Peter Jackson from The Rings and the Hobbit trilogies revealed that the studio, um, Amazon, um, actually evolved with, um, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, um, and they like, oh, we're selling you scripts and whatever, and they didn't concept again, and he goes on to say, um, they'll send me scripts whenever something comes up, and he said that was the last thing I heard, and he said, which is fine, um, no complaint at all. I do, I do think his issue with it, in a way, is I think he views himself as the guardian of Tolkien, so even though it's not, not an issue, I do think deep down, it is an issue, especially considering with the Lord of the Rings property, he set the tone for the whole that whole rebirth of you know people's interests in the fantasy right. genre. Like you mm-hmm. know, with Lord of the Rings, like everybody got captivated by Lord of the Rings and started reading the books. You saw uptick in people playing D and D, Dungeons and Dragons, and some that. You saw you know HBO and Scramble, and you know they got Game of Thrones that came to prominence. So I do think. I don't. I, I do think he might say there's no ill will, but I do think to a degree he feels a bit, you know, miffed at being, you know, left behind to a degree. But too, like yeah. I would feel some type of way if they were like, yeah. "Yeah, be a part of this," and then like also, we're not going to communicate with you and or send you any <laughs> or any updates about how the show's going. Like that would hurt. That would hurt my feelings. I mean, but. And, and also, I know there are issues before, especially with tokens of state more more. More so, his son Christopher kind of slamming. To- I mean, Peter Jackson's take on you know the oh. whole series and kind of saying he eviscerated his from father's books. Said he said he turned his novels into action movies for young people that lacked beauty and seriousness. Like, wow. I th- I think you're like you're doing too much because yeah, I, uh, those movies are wonderfully well well done. Like a lot of the people who never read Token became fans of Token due to Peter Jackson's work on it. I do feel some people, some family members get caught up in the legacy of their famous family members. They don't see the greater good in it. God, no, now after Peter Jackson did those movies, his, the money, the, this, the money and income from that estate went up due to people wanting to read it. So I do feel those kind of things are funny. Was, it, think, was that nominated for like a bunch of Oscars or something when it yes, first came out? It was award winning. Like, like, yeah, like 
So I just I Inc- incredibly so. culturally relevant even to this day. Like I don't I don't know. I think he did a really good job. Like if, if Peter Jackson doesn't make those two trilogies, your family doesn't get this money from Amazon to do the series. So that's a good he, point. That's a good point. Christopher, I think you need to know have a little more common sense when you say those things. But yeah. Anyways, another news. Um, so basically, James Franco has been cast as Fidel Castro, and John Leguizamo. 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 Yes. I'm not. I'm sure I've seen him in something, but I don't. Really have you watched Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet? No. What? I'm not going to. Like, oh I don't want to watch that movie. I don't want to. That was that's the. I remember watching that movie in in in, in school, and I was like, "Oh yes, this is this is cinema." I got more Scorsese on watching that movie, but that was amazing. I will not watch that movie. Okay. Um. <laughs> um. Yes. So basically, he's been ca- James Franco has been cast as Fidel Castro in Alina of Cuba. And it's been met with swift backlash on social media. And um, this is supposed to be like James Franco comeback movie. Like After four uh, years of sexual allegations. I'm so done with James Franco. Like I'm really am. Like I'm, like I'm done. Like I'm done with him. I don't want to see his face anymore. Like I'm just done. But whatever. Um, so actor John Lugizamo. Is that, did I say it right this time? Leguizamo. Leguizamo, okay, Leguizamo, a vocal advocate for a greater Latino representation in Hollywood, led the charge on Instagram. How is this still going on? He wrote in a Friday post. How is Hollywood excluding us but stealing our narratives as well? No more appropriation, Hollywood and streamers boycott this act up. And yes, I agree. I agree. I don't know why James Franco is playing Fidel Castro. Literally, can get so many actors. You can get the guy who played it him on Narcos. Like, he was great in that role. So I can't, I don't see why he couldn't also play in this role. Like, <laughs> it's an indie film. Like, why not? Like, but, okay. like it's, it's so bad. Like, the producer was, like, saying they wanted to find somebody that looked like Fidel and had, you know, somebody of uh, gay, Galaic or Galen, you know, Sp- Spanish ancestry. And, you know, they wanted actors. They, they went for everybody with Latin roots. You know, some white people or these kind of companies say they went with somebody with Latin roots. When they say that, it also means white people with a sprinkle of, yeah, a, t- a sprinkle of a tan, because apparently, because <laughs> apparently James Franco is of Portuguese descent. Paying Franco like every other like regular white dude I've seen in my life, but they said you know he they cast him because they wanted somebody you know to have you know those Spanish heritage and you know looks and evokes you know same facial structure and i kind of find it odd that fidel's castro's daughter who is also a staunch um anti-communist activist she is all for it because you know james cranko not only embodies her father's skills and charisma she looks like ma'am go to any whole foods in this country or go to any like place that has mountain climbing rocks or whatever I can find a bunch of white guys with that same scruffy beard and 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 dead paced baggy eyes that look like your father if that's all that matters. You know. So that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. If if the looks mattered, you you could find like this James Franco is not this abnormality of looking like Fidel. Like you said, the guy out there was a guy a Spanish man on narcos that looked like Fidel. You know, it's not that hard to find like a homeless looking white dude it's it's not you know so hey uh, so it's so sad so sad i think this the woman said on twitter she said james franco as fidel this week continues to show how hollywood will allow on i guess maybe she said maybe only certain stories to be told by certain people and by certain people i mean not latinos yeah because it's that and bad girl you know they're just like check them all out it's terrible yeah, I I can't wait to hear his Spanish accent, that his Cuban accent. Want to hear him roll his oh. arms? You know, yeah, I can't wait for that comedy. So yeah. 
Um, um and you don't go corridor. No, no, okay. Um, and in closing, um, the last bit of sad news, um, of course, uh, Hollywood icon, you know, pop sensation, um, Olivia Newton-John passed away, um, today, um, or as of this Monday of recording, um, in her ranch in Hollywood, California, she was, uh, 37 years old, so. She was 73. 73. I don't know why I said the number like what yeah she was 73 years old but yeah you know Greece still an iconic movie slash play that I think every high school puts on you know of course let's get physical major 80s hit you know it's probably gonna show up in Stranger Things season 5 when they're prepping to to take out Vecna scenes, <laughs> you know, let's get physical or, so. you know, or you know you might hear it play when Nancy finally decides to see Steve and, and, and Jonathan you never know but yeah. Dale's in the writer's room at Stranger Things, y'all. <laughs> he knows what's going down. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna go take some pics and start shooting back up in Atlanta, don't worry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go, the inside scoop. <laughs> um, but yes, that's so I that's so crazy that she's gone. Are is she the same age as John Travolta? Are they are they like I think the same they were age? close? I think the only difference between the two of them is I think she decided to age naturally and Travolta got a lot of plastic surgery. But yeah. <laughs> the John Travolta shit. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah, she really was iconic. Like the amount of people who dress up as Sandy is like for Halloween to look you. Anyways, yeah, RIP. Okay, so what did you watch this week? Um, nothing really um been um relaxing. I've been um basically just like for me, of course, I've mentioned my love of motorsports before. I'm a big F1 fan, big Lewis Hamilton fan. I've just been kind of decided to rewatch the races I missed during the season, the earlier parts of the season because they're on their summer break. And honestly, those races happen at like 10 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning on Sundays. And I'm, I miss some of them. So I'm just, while they're on their little summer break, I've been just rewatching the whole like race weekends you know every once in a while so that's what i've been doing so far lewis hamilton is on the cover of vanity fair yes so he is. check that out yeah i'm gonna read some of it because i don't yeah. know anything about him but i think he's really cool yeah yeah anyway um i am re-watching game of thrones from the <laughs> beginning i finally started to do it um and I'm almost, I think I'm on episode like six or something right now. I'm literally going to go watch it right after we finish filming. I forgot how good it was. Like mm-hmm. after I've been, I'm like rewatching it in preparation for House of the Dragon, right? Mm-hmm. But I, because of the last two seasons and just how, just the bitterness that it left in my mouth, like the taste that it left in so many fans' mouths after season eight. Um, I, I had a hard time watching it because it's like, you know, it's building to something. And then when you got what that something is, it wasn't good. Yeah. And so it's hard to go back and rewatch it because it's like, well, I know what this amounts to and it doesn't really amount to much. But I was wrong. Like rewatching it, I forgot so many things that happened. And I'm and it really feels like I'm watching it for the first time, no lie. Like I'm literally shocked at some of the things that's going on in this season. And I'm like, I have watched this before. Why am I acting like I'm shocked? But I am because I, I forgot. Like I literally forgot what happened. And the writing is so good and the performances are so good. And I like this because it's like, this is before they really had like a big budget to do a whole bunch of stuff. So it's really built around the performances and in the writing. Like that's all they really had for real in, the, in these first couple of seasons. So it just shows you like the talent and then just the talent of the writers, but also the talent of the performers. Like the story is so tight. Like it's just such a good show, like with such a good moment. And then you remember the callbacks. They'll say something in season one and you're like, wait, someone said that in season three, like calling back to that point. And it's just like, I don't know. It's so good. And I'm really happy I'm rewatching it because I was like, the show was good. Like, I know it's not going to end well, but it started off really strong. I remember <laughs> why, like, I loved it. So it's been really fun. I'm I'm enjoying this. I, I, I Look, I've still, I've been debating on whether I should, you know, watch 
finally not rewatch but first watch this you need to do I'm, it look you need to i remember do it. Like i remember at this point like i remember the last two seasons of you know coming into work every day and you and jermaine just like complaining about the state of the show and i was like well i'm really not gonna watch this stuff now and then compound that with people online just like saying what the fuck is going on with the show like i was like yep well yep i am not motivated so we'll see maybe it's gonna work different for me because i i know of the show i know what happened but i haven't seen the whole lead up to that right now so maybe my reaction will be different if i do a first watch it probably won't be as bad um for you coming into it i think you'll i think you might actually have like a better time with it mm-hmm. and i'm saying i'm having a good time with it and i know how it ends like i've seen all the episodes and i'm still loving it so i feel like you're gonna really enjoy it but also i feel like we've had this conversation so many times and you've never done it so well i don't know like the last couple of days i was online like watching clips of like here day collision one scene all you know lena e I've been watching like random like Game of Thrones clips, I guess, because in preparation for yeah you know, show, even though those characters aren't there, right? Just to, what to kind of expect and get air. back into so, the world. Yeah, so maybe you know, even though I, I know the characters, I know everybody's character arc, you know, without even watching the show, I probably might you know still do the same thing you're doing. Watching. I think you need to do that because it's really good. <laughs> Um, yeah. Okay, so that's our episode for this week, guys. We hope that you're taking care of yourselves and having a good week. We oh, make sure to check out all of our social media, follow us on Letterboxd, support us if you can, and we will see you guys in the next one.